Hallelujah. Thought I'd put me a couple of chairs up here in case I get tired. Amen. We, we are excited, excited about uh, Wednesday night. Don't forget that. And then the Feast of Tabernacles coming up. And uh, amen. <laughs> Hope they're okay. And that's coming up Sunday. So if you don't know what that is, the word feast there doesn't mean eating like we think of Thanksgiving meal. It means appointed time. It's the Hebrew word moed. And it means an appointed time. And who did the appointment is God. And we're just simply agreeing with it. And if you don't know what that's about, you, you will. If you'll come Sunday, we'll show you. Everything that Jesus did uh, in his first coming, as we would say, uh, his incarnation, him coming to earth. Of course, Christ has always been. He was known and is known as the Word. And, uh, but he, he did everything in congruence with those feasts, those appointed times. And uh, even his birth, of course, his crucifixion, he did. That was accomplished on Passover. That was one of the appointed times. And it is, of course, no coincidence that Jesus was crucified as the Passover lamb exactly uh, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on the feast of uh, Passover. He, and as Paul said, he was our Passover. He said, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed uh, for us. But today, I want to talk to you uh, about the glorious gospel. And uh, how many knows the gospel really is glorious? If it's the true gospel. In uh, uh, Paul used that word in a letter to, to Timothy, and he actually referred to that and as the glorious gospel. Paul called it the glorious gospel. Uh, and then in Galatians, uh, Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, and he, uh, in uh, chapter 1 and verse 6, he talked about that they had been turning away from the true gospel to a different gospel. He called it a different gospel. And he said, but it's really not a gospel at all. And you would think that he's talking about some, some kind of demonic cult type thing, and all that they were doing was they were coming back and they were mixing law in with the message of grace. Uh, that's how you fall from grace. In the world, you know, people say, well, this guy or this lady, this person fell from grace. And it'll be because they've committed some sin, committed adultery, stole something or whatever, and they said they've fallen from grace. That's not what the Bible teaches falling from grace is. Uh, Paul said you have fallen from grace once you seek to be justified by the law. The word justified means to be made right. Right with who? Right with God. And so that's how you fall from grace. And so Paul said there was a different gospel being preached. And he said real strongly, he said, if anybody comes, he said, I don't care if they're an angel from heaven and preaches any other gospel than the gospel that was delivered to you, which he called the gospel of grace, uh, the grace of Christ. He said, let them be accursed. And you would think that would be strong enough, but then the very next statement the next verse he said and I say again to you (laughs) and he repeated it he said if anybody comes preaching anything different than that that was delivered to you by me he said you let them be accursed because he said that different gospel is not the true gospel well most of us in this room uh if you were raised in church and I don't mean this derogatory and even when I first began preaching uh some 30 plus years ago uh, 
I preached things that, that I no longer believe today. Uh, there was that mixture uh, of law and grace. And of course, Jesus, when he came, uh, he was very clear that you cannot mix the old uh, wine or the new wine with the old wine. He said that they won't mix. And what he was talking about was the, the, the law. And the law was never given because God thought men could keep it. Are you with me? But the law was simply to point us to our need for a Savior, who is Jesus Christ. And uh, so today you may wonder why I got the chairs, but this chair here, just as a point of reference, this is God. See how nice God looks? And this is you and me. This is us. And so what happens, in, and I, wanna, I just want to draw a contrast uh, to the different gospel. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the first one, but I want to spend a little bit of time on the, on the true gospel. But what, uh, what we realize is in the first model, if you want to call it that, uh, it, the, the gospel that most of us grew up under was more of a, I will call it a legalistic, moralistic uh, gospel. And where God is not really seen as a, as a father as much as he is seen as a judge. And that sin, what sin is, is sin is a, a violation of God's laws, of God's rules. And therefore sin must be punished because God is holy, he's righteous, He's just, and therefore when you, when you sin, then you have to be punished uh, for that sin. And, and that's uh, kind of the, the view of, the, of the, what I was raised under. And then, but, but the, the true gospel is not so much, you know, it's not God as a judge in a courtroom. Uh, I would say that metaphor would be better uh, exemplified by a hospital. And where sin is a disease that kills everybody, and there's no cure for it. And, 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 and so we need something, it's, it's, it's far more diabolical than just breaking a rule. It's something that, that corrupts, uh, and, and so it's like a disease. You, you can't uh, punish a disease out of somebody. You can't spank the flu out of a child. You can't incarcerate somebody in prison until their cancer goes away. It, it don't work like that. And so what we need is not a punishing judge, but we need a great physician. And his name's Jesus Christ. Amen? And, and, and that's the more realistic uh, and true uh, model. Now, what, how I was, was raised is, this, of course, God is holy, God is just, God is righteous, and, uh, and so uh, God creates Adam and Eve. He puts them in the garden. And, uh, you know, and then horror of horror happens. They sin. And by sinning, they become sinners. They, they uh, sin against God. They break uh, uh, the, the, the rule of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in that moment, they experience death. And that death has been translated to all of humanity and therefore, since God is holy and just and can't look upon sin, this is what I was taught, then of course God turns away from that. He can't uh, look at that, can't behold that. And, uh, and so what God does is he drives man out of the garden. Uh, God's angry because they've sinned. He, they, they've blown it. They don't get to live in paradise any longer. So God kicks them out. And, uh, 
and, and now they have to go out by the sweat of their brow and make a living, and it's just not, you know, the good life that they could have had if they'd have just, you know, done the right thing. Well, then God being God, though, he, he still reaches out to try to, to uh, make a covenant uh, with people so that he can bring salvation and correct all that's gone wrong. And so what God does is he, he comes to people like Abraham, and he starts with this guy named Abram who will become Abraham, and God encounters him, and God wants to raise up a seed from him that, from which the Messiah will eventually come. And so God presents this covenant, this, this promise to him. And what does Abraham uh, does? He gets scared. He goes down into Egypt, don't trust God for his provision. He goes to Egypt, uh, basically pimps out his wife, lets the Pharaoh take her into his harem, um, and, and uh, just, get, you know, he, he blows it. And, uh, of course, then God had promised him a child, from his own loins, but what he does is he, he sleeps with his uh, wife's maid. Uh, hello, somebody. How many knows that that's a sin? And so, of course, uh, that puts him away from God, and God being holy, God can't look at that because he's holy and righteous and just. And, uh, and so here we are, we're, we're in a mess again, and man is away from, away from God. And so then God says, well, we'll, we'll, we'll go at it again, and he, he reaches out to Moses. And he brings this covenant to Moses with, with God's people in mind. And, uh, and so God comes and he, he uh, uh, tells Moses that I want you to set my people free. And what does Moses do? He loses his temper one day and he kills a, 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 an Egyptian. And, of course, that's a sin. And so God is holy. There we go again. He, he can't look at sin. So, so we're, in a, we're in a mess again. And Moses just, you know, flees for his life and goes out and becomes a, a goat keeper in the wilderness. And so then God being God and the God that he is, and he reaches out again in covenant form to a, one, a man named David. And David's going to be the king of Israel from which the, 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 the Messiah would sit on the throne of David. And that God's going to, through his seed, bring the Messiah and bring salvation. And, uh, but David... Uh, He's got a problem. He likes to watch women in the hot tub. And so then he sends for that woman and commits adultery with her and, and then he kills her husband to cover up his sin. And, of course, that's a real bad sin there, right? So God can't look at that. So God has to turn away from that. And now we're in a mess again. And all the time God would turn to, to his people, but they would always turn away from him. And so then what happens is God says that I'm going to have to do this myself. And so what God does is God uh, comes and he sends his own son, Jesus Christ, to be the sacrificial lamb for us. And that uh, he's going to take on all the sin of the world and God's going to punish him instead of punishing us. And uh, he's going to pour all his wrath out on him, and, and that's what I was told. But then we kind of run into a problem with this, because now, uh, you know, his son becomes sin. And, of course, God can't look at sin, you know, and now his son's become sin, you know. And so what God has to do is, they told me, God turned his back on his own son. And when he was high, uh, dying on the cross, and God can't look at sin, and God forsook his own son, 
uh, while he was uh, uh, dying. But of course, Jesus never sinned, so God did, you know, the right thing, and he, he raised him from the dead. And, uh, you know, once he raised him from the dead, then he could look at him again. And now, you know, God's looking at Jesus, and Jesus is looking at God, and, and everything is, is good. And if you put your faith in this Jesus, and you believe that he bore all the wrath and the fiery uh, punishment uh, from God, and you put your faith in him, then you can be spared that punishment because Jesus, of course, took yours. But now, if you don't uh, take on, you know, believe that and take on that, uh, you know, trust in Jesus, then, of course, then you're, you're on your own and you will bear the punishment. And the punishment uh, will be a uh, long time. It's going to be eternal. And uh, God's never going to, you know, stop uh, punishing you. Uh, it's what a lot of folks we write, you know, you're going to go to hell. And God's going to be this sadistic, uh, tormenting person, <clears throat> and he's just going to torment you forever because you rejected his son, and that really ticks him off. So he's going to pour out his anger and wrath on you forever, and you're never going to get a break. And uh, He's just going to do that forever with no redemptive purpose in mind other than to imprison you in a torture chamber. And, uh, and so, but if you put your faith in, in the Lord, you know, then you can be turned face to face with God and now you're a Christian and everything's okay until you sin. But when you sin, then God can't look at sin, so he turns away from you. And, and, and so now... Uh, you sinned and God can't look at you and you're in a mess again and now you got to do something to get right with God. You're not right with God now and that's why God don't hear your prayers and why you're going through a tough time because you, you got to do something to get yourself back right with God and God's pouting over here and he won't ever talk to you again until you make the next move. And so now you're a Christian and all but not really. But you got to do something to get, you know, get your relationship back. So you confess your sins one by one. You better not forget one now. And you repent of all of them and you confess them. And you got to keep a clean slate. You got to swab the deck of the ship every day to make sure it's clean or God won't hear your prayers or help you. But if you repent and all, and God's not going to talk to you anymore and God's turned his back on you and you're kind of on your own. But if you repent and, you know, and be nice and do all the rules that we tell you, then you can turn back to God because that's what it means. They said to repent means to turn to God, turn away from sin. So when you do that, then God's not mad at you anymore, and then he'll turn back around, and then y'all can be friends again. Who wouldn't want that gospel? I mean, if you thought you're like Jonathan Edwards says in his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, that you're a spider dangling, being dangled over the pit of hell, the flames of hell, who, who wouldn't want that, you know, deal? Who, want, who wouldn't want that gospel? Well, actually, a lot of people don't want it. That's why there's room in here for you to sit around where, kind of where you want to. And there is in every church. Because that gospel that I just presented to you, which I was raised under and which I started out my preaching under, is not the gospel. That's a different gospel. It's a different gospel than Paul preached. It's a different gospel than the apostles preached. It's a different gospel than the first and second century church preached. By the time we got to Constantine, 
it really got corrupted and defiled. We lost our Jewish uh, history. That's why we don't know things, and that's why the Feast of Tabernacles really help us. And we've been in a mess ever since. And what we're doing now, by the grace of God, is we're being allowed to recover the true gospel. The gospel that Paul preached got him in trouble because when Paul preached grace, then the people's reaction was, well, if it's like you said, why don't we just all go sin willy-nilly? Why don't we sin all the more then so we can have more grace? Because you said where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Let's just sin like crazy people. Paul said, God forbid. God forbid, you, are you that stupid? I mean, that's crazy. Uh, that's not, Paul said, that's not what I'm saying at all. Uh, the Bible says grace doesn't cause people to sin. It actually teaches them to say no to ungodliness. Grace is what does that, not your rule book. Not, not your rule book. Now, God, God's gospel is a very different gospel. And so God, you know, he creates Adam and Eve. This is the, 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 the true version. Uh, and God puts them in the garden. And he's face-to-face -face with them because he's face-to-face -face with Father, Son, and Spirit. And he comes and he shares that relationship, that communal relationship with his creation. And God walks with them. And, and I told you, when you see in the garden, I hope now instead of seeing uh, three people, God walking with Adam and Eve, I hope you see five. You see Father, Son, and Spirit because God is three, yet to describe God anything other than one is a disservice and doesn't do justice to to who the Bible says that he is. And uh, if that sounds strange to you, uh, you know, it, it, it shouldn't. All through the Bible in Genesis, God said, let us make man in our image. God has always been and always will be a triune God. And the Father doesn't become the Son, the Son doesn't become the Father, the Spirit doesn't become the, the Son, and the Spirit doesn't become the Father, yet they are all one, and yet they're God. Right? And so God shares that relational relationship, and God lets man be a part of that, and man is included in that. And once creation exists, then as I told you last Sunday, from that point forward, God refuses to be God without your involvement. And that's why I told you if God's going to do a miracle, like turning water into wine, somebody's got to fetch the water. And God's going to include you in that miracle. Because to exclude you would say that you're not in it. That's why God doesn't do stuff on his own. He, we, there's the gift of working of miracles. We work and we get to participate. I said, I don't really like the word God's using you. God doesn't use anybody. God allows you to participate with him. He says, I'm going to turn water into wine. Anybody want to get in on that? And they go, yeah, I'll help. He said, go draw me some water. Now, if you're lazy, you, you go, well, why I got, I, I got to draw water? How you... See, you, if you engage your brain, you're going to miss something awesome. You just trust God. Well, Adam and Eve do the unthinkable. They sin against God. And, of course, that's sin. And instead of God doing like I was taught, turn his back, and God's so holy he can't look at sin and all this stuff, then what God does is God still comes on the same cool of the evening, and he hangs out with his kids. And he talks to them, and he says, Adam, what's, look at you, son. What, what y'all got on your genitals there? What, what kind of deal is that? What kind of outfit's that? I hadn't seen that before. Uh, well, we, we, we sewed fig leaves together and 
because we were naked. God said, who told you you were naked? Who you been listening to? What voice? Who's been putting shame on you? Who's been telling you what you are not or what you are? Who, who are you listening to? And he said, well, you know, it's really your fault, God. This woman, you know, you gave me. <laughs> it's your fault, man. She the one, you know, got up all in this, my business here and made me sin. And, and he says, uh, sweetheart, what is he, what's he saying? He said, it's your fault. And he said, no, nah, mm, the devil made me do it. It's that snake. It's the snake's fault. And, uh, and so we go to blame game. And what does God do? God still stays face-to-face -face with them. He uh, moves them out of the garden. The King James uses the word drive. Don't picture a cattle drive beating their back with a whip. And he, and he puts them out of the garden for their protection unless they eat of the tree of, the, of life and stay in that condition of that corrupt state forever. God said, I'm not going to allow that to happen to my kids. Love them too much. And he placed angels there, cherubims, to keep the way back to the tree of life. And God did all that redemptively for them. Well, then what, what happens now is man goes out into the, to the earth, and, and, uh, and, and so God goes with them. And Adam and Eve have kids, and they have a lot of them, but just a couple of them that the Bible names is, is Cain and Abel. And uh, so God sees Cain uh, real angry and upset, and he goes to him and says, why, are you, why is your countenance falling? Why are you so angry? And, and he said, well, I, you know, uh, God said, if you, you know, if you, if you do the, the right sacrifice, because it was a typology of the coming Messiah that would save all this and fix all this. And uh, he, he was mad with God because God didn't have respect for his, you know, uh, tomato plants and, and, and the cucumbers that he grew, you know. And his brother brought an actual animal, which, you know, obviously his daddy, Adam, had taught him this is what's coming. And he got mad, and God said, listen, now sin, and he, and he personified sin. He, he, he put it as a person. The King James says, he, sin, he lieth at the door. He desires to have you. We don't even know what sin is. Sin is not a verb, it's a noun. It's a noun. Primarily, it's a noun. We think sin is something I did. I stole a piece of candy. I sinned. No, stealing a piece of candy was because of sin. But God warns uh, Cain that, you know, he said, don't, you know, just... Don't be upset now. And but what does Cain do? He he gets upset anyway, and and he and he falls upon his brother and he kills him, bashes his head in with a stone, and uh, he kills him. And of course that's sin. And of course you know you're supposed to not supposed to turn you away from God, but that's not what happens. And and so he he's killed his brother. God sits there and talks to him. Says, "Why? Where's your brother?" He said, "I don't know where he's at." Not only is he a murderer, he's a liar. He said, am I my brother's keeper? I don't know. He ain't none of my business. I don't know where he's at. God said, I know where he's at. You killed him. His blood cries from the ground to me. And uh, what does God do? God doesn't, you know, you think God, the God I was taught, God should have just wiped him out right there. But God doesn't. And, and uh, he goes off to, to start his own kingdom built on foundation of a city founded on murder, really, murderous heart. But what does God do? God puts a mark on him, a patriarchal mark, so that nobody would kill him, and he would be protected. Well, then God, you know, you got uh, Abraham, and, and so God, you know, does come to Abraham, and he does offer that covenant to him, and, and God uh, says, I want to enter into a covenant here, and I want to save you and save the people, and he does sleep with his maid, and, 
Of course, God never even mentions that to him. God doesn't say, well, I, I can't believe you slept with her. I can't believe you did that. You, you know, boy, what a piece of work you are. God doesn't even mention it in the Bible. God doesn't even rebuke him for it. Isn't that weird? And uh, in fact, what does God do? God actually uh, blesses the Egyptian sex slave, the woman, and, uh, and she has a son named Ishmael, and God blesses him and makes him a great nation. That sounds like a very different God, doesn't it? And, uh, and so then we get to Moses. And so Moses, you know, he's, of course, committed murder. He thinks he's done. And he flees out to the wilderness, and then God shows up in the shrubbery. And uh, God's like, uh, burn, baby, burn. Let's get this thing going. Let's go get my people's. And, uh, and, and Moses doesn't think he's worthy, and he tries to come up with a whole bunch of excuses, and, and he can't talk good and all kind of problems, but, but God convinces him after a long conversation, go get my people because I love them, and I don't want them to be slaves in Egypt anymore. And so uh, they're let out because God's a gracious God. Well, then we get to David. And of course, David, I told you, he's really got a, a fond... Uh, lack of hot tubs, especially women in hot tubs, and, uh, and that's sin, and he does all that, but God never removes his covenant nor his kindness from David, and in fact, David slept with Bathsheba, it wasn't his wife, and he took her, and, um, and, he, and, he, and she got pregnant from that, and that's, of course, that's why David had her husband killed, because he thought he could hide all that, and he, he didn't, and uh, and, and she has a little boy, and his name is Solomon. And God actually uses Solomon to be the third king of Israel. God's a redeeming God. And out of Solomon would come the Messiah. And God blesses him in a big-time way, even though he was the kid of the illegitimate, you know, kind of a deal, because God's a God of grace. And uh, so we get over to the, to the New Testament, and you got all kinds of stories there of this God going after like a hound from heaven with his kids. You got this dude, man, that's kind of maybe got, uh, got a problem, possibly because the Bible tells us he's real short in stature. Uh, Y'all probably heard of him. His name is Zacchaeus. And so he, uh, I don't know if he's trying to compensate for his height or lack thereof or whatever, uh, but he, he's a Jew but he starts working for the Romans who have the Jewish nation under bondage, by the way. And the Jews uh, don't like the Romans occupying their, their land and they don't like being under their dominion. And so what Zacchaeus does is he works for the Romans as a tax collector. So he is drawing taxes from his own people, which the Jews hate him for that. And so not only is he taking taxes on behalf of the Romans and he's pilfering his own got his own gig going, and he's stealing money from his own people. And, he, and the Bible says that he, in the New Testament, that Zacchaeus was rich. So he is a rich little dude, uh, you know, but everybody hates his guts. And so Jesus sees him up in a sycamore tree, and Jesus stops and, and talks to him and says, I want to come and have supper with you at your house. And that freaked everybody out. See, because, you know, where do we get this that God, you know, has to turn from sin and God's so holy that he can't look at, at sinners? I mean, where do we get that from? 
Well, we get it from a couple of places, and uh, uh, one of them is the prophet Habakkuk. And Habakkuk actually makes a statement in chapter 1, and, and he's talking to God. Now, he's making a statement of what he believes. But he says, your eyes are too pure and too holy to even look at iniquity. And, and that's it all in one verse. And, uh, and so people, they'll, they'll say that. They'll half quote that verse and try to be their proof text that God can't look at sin, which is stupid. Because if they would read the rest of the verse, it's, it's the rest of the verse, by the way. And it says, so why do you? <laughs> he says, well, your eyes are so pure that you can't behold iniquity, so why do you? Read the verse, man. The, the only other place in the whole Bible you can ever read, uh, vaguely come up with the lie that God separates from people, turns his back on you because you're a sinner, you can't look at you, you can't hardly stand to look at you, is Isaiah 59. And if you want to throw any of that up, it's cool. But in Isaiah 59 and verse 2, it says your sins, your transgression, your sins, depending on translation, has, you know, caused God, you know, separated you. But but what we what we miss is in uh, in, in in verse one of Isaiah fifty nine. Uh, let me find it in in Isaiah fifty nine verse one. Listen to what it says: Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. See how positive God starts? He said, nor is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But he says in verse 2, but your iniquities have separated you. God didn't separate from them. See, when you sin, you do what Adam and Eve did. We do what they do. We hide. But we think God's going to get us. He said, your sins separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. That's all in your head. That's all in your head. You did that. You run. You hide. God's still right there. He's pursuing you. Now, in, in verse 13 of Isaiah 59, uh, it says, In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. Do I need to translate that verse for you? God said, y'all lying on me. He said, you bunch of liars, you're lying about me. You're, you're, because you transgressed, you sinned, now you're lying against me. And you departing from me, and you're speaking oppression and, you, and revolt, and you conceive things that you're uttering from your heart that are not true. God said, you lying on me, man. I'm, I'm not that God. And then down in verse 16, God sees this horrible problem, and he says he saw that there was no man. And he wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, this is what God said, I'll do. I'll handle this myself. Y'all can't save yourself, I'll do it. He said, therefore his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness, it sustained him. God said, I'll handle this. I'll handle it. Uh, I, I, I told you that, you know, I was raised that God, you know, turned his back on Jesus. And I've addressed that a few weeks ago when I talked about the cross. But you got to remember that Psalm 22, verse 1, is where that phrase comes from. My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? And Jesus did utter that from the cross, and he did say that. Well, why did he say it? I'll let you decide. But some say he said it because he's quoting from Psalm 22, which is a prophetic psalm of the detailed crucifixion of the Messiah. 
And he's wanting those Jews that are standing around the cross to know that this psalm that y'all all have memorized, Psalm 22, 23, 24, is a trilogy that every Jew knew. Like we know Psalm 23, for the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I mean, almost every American knows that psalm whether you go to church or not. But the Jews knew Psalm 22 because it, it was prophetic of the Messiah. They knew 23. They knew he would be the Messiah. They knew Psalm 24, the triumphant victory over all of the sin. And, and, and so Jesus is quoting from that. Or Jesus is inside the flesh of Adam, so much so that he was called the last Adam. And from the cross, he is tasting of that feeling that we feel that, we are, we, that God has somehow forsaken us. But what's, all you got to do is keep reading. That 22nd Psalm is so detailed, it says they pierced his hands, they divided his garment, it, it's all his joints around his It's very detailed. And in verse 24, this is what it says. For he has not despised nor abhorred, that means hated the affliction of the, of the afflicted, talking about his son, listen to this, nor has he hidden his face from him. Just read it. Nor has he hidden his face from him, but when he cried to him, he heard God did not forsake Jesus on the cross, and Jesus knew that, he, that his father would not forsake him on the cross. And that's a religious lie. Man, I see this so much, and when I read the, the parables in Luke about the lost uh, sheep, the thing I love about those parables that Jesus told, he did three, one after another. He did the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost sons. And I said, plural, sons. Because the one at the house was as lost as the one in the pig pen. And there's nothing more lost than a religious mind to think you're pleasing God by your service or what you're doing or you earning it. That's not grace. That's works. And by the way, Ephesians says we are saved by grace through not of works, lest any man should boast. And I don't have time to unpack this today, but let me say this. We are saved by grace through faith. And so the grace is from God, listen, and the faith that you're saved by is from God. The only thing the Bible ever talks about in the New Testament about faith is the faith of God. The Apostle Paul said, the life that I now live, I live by the faith of, not in, the Son of God. The Bible over and over uses that phraseology, faith of God, the faith of God, the faith of Christ. God's the one. He gifted you the grace and the faith. You're saved by grace through faith. Now, when uh, this God that didn't turn his back on Jesus, I love when he gives that example. He says, you're my sheep, and if you go off into the wilderness into the ditch, so to speak, I'm, I'm coming after you. I, I'm never going to, I'm never going to stop coming after you. God, you know, you turn your back on God, then, then God never turns his back on you. He's just going to keep coming. And you go, man, I, you know, I, I don't even want you, God. I mean, get out of my face and leave me to heaven alone. And, and God says, nope, I love you too much. Not going to do it. I'm still coming. God, I hate you, I curse you, get out my face. I love you too much, I'm coming. And God's never going to stop doing that. Well, I ain't going to church reading my Bible, I'm through with this, okay, I'm coming. Because God says that when the sheep is lost, I'm going to look for that sheep until I find them. 
That's what it says. The, shepherd, the good shepherd is going to look until he finds them. He's the one doing the looking. It says the woman that lost the coin, she had 10 coins, lost one of them. It says she swept the house and continued looking until she found it. Until she found it. God's never going to relent. He's never going to give up. He's never going to stop pursuing us because we're his kids. We're created in his image and his likeness. He loves us. He, 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 there's no limit to his love. Now, some of you ain't going to like this, and, and I... And again, I ain't got time to unpack this one. I'm just bad. To, I pulled a pen, throw a grenade, let you deal with it. But there was a bunch of people that died that never heard the gospel. Now, the world says, now, you, got, you, know, you, you know, you better get this thing right, you know, because, you know, once you're dead now, you're dead, Fred, and that, that's it. And now, once you're dead, then God's through with you. Then you had your chance. Hell will be your portion. But that's not really what the picture it shows in the Bible. So what Jesus did, and you, you, you don't like that, but it's in the book, and I, I, we, we can go chapter verse if you need to. But it says that Jesus went and preached to those people. So death didn't stop him. Some of y'all think death is stronger than anything, and it ain't stronger than God's love. Well, what do you say it? Don't try to pigeonhole me. You don't know what I believe, so just sit there. I believe in a good God. I believe in a God that ain't going to never stop. You lay in like that. What did Jesus do? He went to those in bondage, in prison, in Hades. When the Bible uses the word H-E-L-L, -L, you picture a pointed toed, pitchfork toting, uh, devil in tights with horns shoveling coal in a place. Won't you just get you a concordance and read what the word hell means? It is the Greek word, it means the grave. I mean, the Hebrew word and the Greek. The very few times does it mean Gehenna fire. It means the place of death. When the Old Testament said hell hath enlarged itself to receive those going in, it don't mean down there in them where they're burning. It just means the grave, the grave. But once uh, King Jimmy got a hold of the Bible and translated it for us, man, they really shoved that agenda they had about a place of torment where this sadistic God's going to pay you back. But all I know is the Bible said Jesus went down into the pit and he preached to those that were dead. And First Peter says it. I thought I might need to whip this out, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. This is what it says, 1 Peter 3.19, 1 Peter 3.19, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Jesus did that. So it wasn't like you did too bad, you missed a party. 1 Peter 4.6 says, for this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead. Is it okay to read out the Bible? Let me read that again. For this reason, the gospel was preached to also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to not be judged, uh, uh, but live according to God in the spirit. See, it, I'm just saying it's very interesting that I find this kind of stuff in my Bible. And by the way. Uh, for those that push the agenda of separation, Romans 8, 
Verse 37, the Apostle Paul made it real clear that there's nothing made, unmade, planet, not planet, universe, not universe, nothing can separate you from the love of God. And so I'm going to read you what he said. He says, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither, uh-oh, he doesn't say, he doesn't throw it out the D word. He doesn't say death ain't going to stop God. Death nor life will stop God's pursuit, his love. Nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what the Bible says. Now you tell me on that list what's left off. <laughs> you tell me what's left off of that list that has the ability to cut you off and separate you. These are just interesting things to think about. About a loving God who will never stop pursuing us. That's why Paul said, I pray that all of Israel be saved. Not some of Jesus says, not more than any should perish. All should come to repentance. Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. Not some, not a few, not a remnant. I'll, I'll draw all of them to me. The Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is the Lord. What do you think? God's got soldiers there shoving people down and making them bow down and say that? You don't even know him now. But every knee is going to bow. Every tongue. You are the Lord. God is far better than we have been told. And he has a more beautiful plan than you ever dreamed or imagined. God said, the prophet said, if I was to tell you what I was up to, though your ears heard it, you would not believe it. Zacchaeus, thought I forgot. Zacchaeus, uh, he was so excited, man. Jesus come eat with him. All the Jews hated him. Jesus is a Jew. He didn't hate him. He comes in there and hangs out with the dude. I think we forget about something about Jesus. You know, people say, like, God's so holy, can't look at sin. Uh, could you help me with this? I might, my theology might be a little weak. But I do believe that Jesus is God. I believe that they said, Jesus, show us the Father. He said, you're looking at him. When you've seen me, you've seen Papa. Is that right? The, the Bible calls Jesus Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. So Jesus is God. Well, Jesus in the Bible, he hang out with sinners. He touched them. He ate with them. He fellowshiped with them. He didn't sin, but he hung out with them. Apparently, he can look at sin. And he hung out with this dude, Zacchaeus. And, and Zacchaeus, man, he was so blown away by the kindness of the Lord. He said, listen here, man. 
you know what? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay back everything I stole with interest. And, and, and what's left over, I'm going to give half of that away to the poor. I can't believe how kind you are to me. <laughs> Jesus said, today, Zacchaeus, salvation has come into your home. Now, you got, you know, you, you see, they, they bring uh, this woman, you know, she's caught in adultery. And, uh, of course, that's a real bad thing there, man, you know. Be sleeping around. And what, do they bring him and throw her at John 8 and Jesus' feet? They're going to see if he's going to break Moses' law, the rules that God gave Moses. And so they throw her at the feet, you know, and Jesus don't turn away from her. Jesus don't say, go ahead and stone her like the Bible says. Uh, Jesus just looks, gets right to her, and, and he just starts writing on the ground, and, and he doesn't condemn her. And he actually says, you know, after a while, uh, let you people that ain't got no sin, y'all throw your first rock. And, and they, they didn't nobody throw no rocks. They all did drop their rocks. The Bible said, and they went to the house. And uh, Jesus looks around, and there's nobody left. And he says, woman, where are you condemners? And she looks up to her surprise. And I just want to pause and say, you know, it takes two to tango. Where, where the heaven is the man that was with her in the bed? Where he at? Why didn't he get brought? Because it was a setup. It was a planned setup to try to, it was really after Jesus. It was after Jesus more than it was the woman. Jesus didn't use the law to condemn her. He doesn't condone sin. He doesn't want you to sin. Sin hurts people. Hurts the one that does it. Hurts people that don't even do it. Sin, the wages of sin is death. It brings death to everything. Don't mess with it. Don't do it. I mean, write me down for saying it's not a good thing to sin. But your sin is not greater than God's grace. And so uh, Jesus said, woman, where are you condemned? She said, I don't have any. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And it wasn't like a rule, go and sin no more. He was saying, I don't condemn you. What I do is I give you the gift of grace, and I give you the gift in advance of no condemnation. I am not here to condemn you. John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through his son that the world, the world would be saved. The world would be saved. <laughs> That's what he said anymore. And so he didn't condemn her. He said, now take the power of the grace and use that no condemnation. There is therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ. There's no condemnation from me to you, girl. You are totally forgiven. You've always been forgiven. Don't do that. Don't, 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 don't live your life like that. Go and sin no more. Then uh, you got Jesus preaching in a, in a house packed with people. And man, he's preaching up storm, and all of a sudden, plaster starts hitting him in the head, and people tearing a hole in the ceiling. You got to quit preaching when they start doing that. And this ain't a little hole. They're gonna, it's a hole big enough that a stretcher could be lowered by four men uh, with ropes. And they lower a paralyzed dude in there. And these brothers, they brought that dude that's paralyzed, obviously, to be healed of his condition. And they'd heard Jesus is a healer, so that's why they brought him, and they just need to get this man healed. They love him. Obviously, they were going through a lot of trouble. They couldn't even get inside, so they had to climb on the roof. And the only way they could get this brother to Jesus is they tore a hole in the roof. And they'll say, we'll settle up with the homeowner in a little bit, but we've got to get you to Jesus. Thank God for people like that. Amen? And, and so they lower him down, and, and Jesus stops preaching, and he looks at this man. 
Now, this man's laying on a stretcher. He ain't saying boo, bye, nothing. He ain't praying no prayer. He ain't doing the Hail Mary. He ain't doing none of it. No religion here. He's just laying there, paralyzed. Jesus says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Two pronouns. The word sin there is not a verb, it's a noun. Did your sin take care of? I, I didn't think you could get forgiven until you asked. Apparently that ain't true. Because this man didn't say nothing, and Jesus pronounced and said, You already forgiven. Hmm. I thought he'd come to get healed. Now the Bible said when the people, all the religious people, Pharisees and all, when they heard it, it said they were they, they were incensed. They were angry. Who can forgive sin but God only? It ain't what God can do. It's what God has done, and that's what they didn't know. God wasn't about to. God already did. A lot of the church thinks sin something God, forgiveness is something God can offer you. Forgiveness is something God's already given you. God's forgiveness proceeds your repentance. Repent means to think radically different. Greek word metanoia. And so Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And they, they run their mouth, who forgives them? And Jesus, knowing their heart, he said, he said, which is easier for me to say, uh, man, your sins are forgiven, or say, take up your bed and walk? He said, but so that you'll know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, I say unto you, take up your bed and walk. And the man got up. It takes power to do that. And God says, Jesus was saying, if I got power to set this paralyzed man free, I've also got power to do what I've already said, and I've set him free from the penalty and the, and the pain of sin. That's what it come for. And, and, and that's what God did. And that's what God does. And all I'm telling you today is that no matter what you do, God's never going to turn away from you. And God has always been for you. He's always been with you. And all those times. See, I want to tell you about a little boy, and his name's Dale Young. <laughs> He got saved, what we call, I, 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 I awoke to the reality of Christ in me when I was 12 years old. I got saved. Uh, he'd always been there. He'd the one that was talking to me when I was even a lot younger than that, I remember. And uh, I had so much fear, and, I, and, and hell was a big threat, and it was, I was, you know, all that stuff. Come to the Lord. And so, okay, and, and, and I worked real hard at keeping the slate clean. And, but when I got about 14 or 15, you know, then, then whatever the reason, I turned away from God. And in fact, I got way away from him as far as I could go. I didn't want nothing to do with him no more. And I was partying and doing all those things. And my life was really miserable. And I'd ride by the old church there. I've told you it's four, 17, 18, 19 years old. I'd ride by and see the cross lit up. And I'd be by myself 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, coming from clubs in Valdosta or wherever I was at. And, uh, and some nights couldn't even hardly remember how I got home. I ain't proud of none of that. I'd look at that cross and I'd just cry in that car, man. And I never even thought, why am I crying? Because that's my papa. And I'm still saved. I'm just a prodigal, you know, trying to make me a pig pen. And what does God do? I, I, so one night I, I got a buddy sleeping, you know, hanging out, man. We, we do stuff all the time. And one weekend we crash his place, one weekend at mine. 
And so he's hanging out with me. We go into a disco in Tifton called Peppers. I know you look up disco, you can see what it means when you look it up, Google it. And uh, so I'm in there, and I don't believe God's even nowhere, nowhere close. But what does God, I'm in the disco, and, and so here comes, God's right there. He, he's right in the disco with me. And actually in the disco, of all places, he starts talking to me. In the disco. I hadn't prayed in years. If I saw a Christian, I would hide from them. I'd, I'd, I'd hide from them. I didn't want them to ask me to church, ask me nothing. I didn't want to hear nothing you got to say. And God says to me, son, is this really what you want? Is this your life? Is this what you want? And in that moment, I can't tell you, but my eyes were opened. And I saw clearer than I've ever seen. I had all that religion in my head and all that fear. And the God, I, I didn't even know. See that false gospel I showed you a while ago? And when I said, you know, why, why wouldn't everybody want that? You know what that gospel does? It's not a gospel. That's a different gospel. What that does is creates atheists. And I get it. Who would want that God? that would turn his back on his own son. Who would want that God? That, that, that's the gospel that creates atheists. God's right there talking to me. And I thought I had to get saved in church. And as far as I was concerned, I was still, I was lost as a goose. I was not saved anymore. All that was lies. God was with, with me the whole time. And, and, and so, and, and so what God, I told God, I said, God, if you'll just let me live. You see how I thought he was? I said, if you'll let me live to in the morning, I'll be in church. And so my buddy Kevin went home with me. We got home 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, whatever it was. Back in those days, my mom and daddy, they was partying out. We didn't ever know who was coming in and when they was coming or what shape they'd be in there when they got home. And so the next morning, I got up and I went to the, to the church, to the Adel Church of God, and there was a man named Charles Blair preaching, and I sat on the edge of the pew, and I was lost in my mind as I could be, and I waited for the altar call to be given, and when it was given, I didn't wait for three car wreck stories and to play just as I am without one plea ten times. I took off to the altar, draped over the altar, and I begged God, so wrong, to take me back. Of course, he's there the whole time. And again, my heart was awakened to his love, and I had got up that morning and left Kevin there, my drinking buddy. We always went out on Sunday afternoons, bought bootleg beer, whatever, and we knew what to do, where to get it, and how to get it, and did that. And, and so he woke up to my absence in the bedroom. I was gone. Uh, they, my daddy asked him, he said, where the hell you Dale at? And he said, I don't know, Miss Young. I, he, I promise he came home with me last night. And he said, are you sure he came home with you? And uh, he said, I'm telling you, Miss Jung, he, was, he, he came home with us. And, uh, and they, was, they, they, they was eating lunch. Apparently, they wasn't worried about me too bad. And I, I came back, and I remember when I walked in my house, and my family was all eating, and Kevin was sitting there eating, and they all looked at me, and my dad said, where the hell have you been? And I said, I've been to church. That shut him up right there, boy. I said, I've been to church. <laughs> you know what I told him? I said, I got saved this morning. But I really didn't. Because I've been saved. But I didn't know it. My theology was all screwed up. I just knew God loved me. 
and God wanted me. And I remember Kevin, like, he stopped the fork mid-mouth, you know, when I said I got saved. But he knew that I was going to mess up the bootleg beer buying that day. And he put the fork down, finished up. And that's been, and I was 19 then. I'm 63. I've seen him one time since then in all those years, one time. I don't guess he's my friend. We was more like partners in crime. Uh, my life forever changed. But the God I got introduced to was not the God that I now today know. And he has been so kind and patient with me. And it takes time to work all that old religious mess out of you. And if you'll just give God time, he'll deliver you of all your religion. And you'll come to a place, and I'm still growing, and I hadn't arrived at some big pinnacle of the temple here. But I do am so thankful that the Lord loves me. And I am, I want to apprehend the one who apprehended me. <laughs> I want to hold on to the one that has always held on to me. And I want to know more about him. And I want to know more of his love and his grace. And I was sitting in my office yesterday reading my Bible, not religious, just hanging out with Papa, thinking about you guys today. And I came across a phrase, and it says uh, that, that God's um, mercy, it says the mercy of God is everlasting, everlasting the mercies of God. The mercy of God is everlasting. And, and it never, it, and it never uh, ceases. And I just, you know, it, uh, uh, like one place, and I just, made, I just put myself a little note, it, it, Psalm 136, one, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures. How long? Up until you die. Uh, what did it say? Can, can you put up Psalm 136, verse 1? Is that something you can do fast? Uh, it's coming. It's, it's, the, the little thing probably has to circle around like that. But when you, when you get it up, then you, I think this is the Psalm, Psalm 136, verse 1. Man, we've got to get a faster computer if it's... I'm teasing. There it is. I'll give thanks to the Lord for his mercy. How about verse 2? Can we put it up? Oh, there it is again. Oh, give thanks to God of oh God's for his mercy endures forever. Man, that's two in a row. How about three? Oh, there go number three. Uh, and oh, give thanks to the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Well, surely it won't be in the next verse. It's kind of getting repetitive. How about verse 4? Oh, there it is again. To, got to be, it's got to come to an end. Now, how about verse 5? Oh, my God, there it is. His mercy endures forever. I think the Holy Spirit's trying to make a point. How about verse 6? Surely, oh, we, oh, we got a theme going here. His mercy endures forever. Uh-oh. I mean, is it going to end? How about verse 7? Oh, my God, his mercy endures forever. I mean, how long is this on? Verse 8. Oh, is mercy still enduring forever? How about verse 9? Oh, there it is again. His mercy still enduring forever. 
Oh, verse 10, his mercy is enduring forever. How many verses in that song? Huh? Next one. Is there 11? Oh, there it is again. His mercy endures. As the Holy Spirit would say, have I made my point? And it, and it just keeps going. Longer than the rabbit with the batteries in him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Man, I love the fire out of you people. I really do. God's mercy endures forever. There's no end to it. 42 times I counted yesterday that phrase in my New King James Bible. 42 times. They tell us if it's in there one time, it's extremely important. But why is it in there 42 times? Because God wants you to know my mercy never is extinguished. My mercy endures forever. I read another one that said his loving kindness is everlasting. It never stops. It never wanes. It never diminishes. God never removes his kindness from you. That's the God that I want to introduce you to. That's the God that I want this world to know. I want them to know that God who no matter what you do, one last time with the chair. Boy, my arms are getting built up up here. He will never stop pursuing you. He's going to pursue you. I hate you, God. You didn't do what I told you to do. It's okay. Me and you will work it out. The other day, somebody I love with all my heart, they said, he said, where is God in the middle of all of this? I said, son, he's right where he's always been, right in the middle of it with you. He's always been there. He's always been there. Even when you turn and run, then God says, I'm right there. I'm not, I pay, you're my kid. Who gives up on their kids? No, God doesn't. God don't unchild his children. Never gives up. That's the God that I want to introduce you to. That's the gospel. The gospel means what? You know this, Grace Point. It means good news, don't it? Paul said, don't get, don't get swayed by a different gospel that's not a gospel at all. That's not good news, Paul said. It's not even good news. The gospel that he said, I preach to you, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of grace, that's the true gospel. Amen. And that gospel is glorious. Amen. Come on, stand with me. God bless you. Amen. And I didn't originate the chair thought. I saw a guy do that one time. And so I stole it as my own. Isn't it good, though? I just said, God, please help them to not only hear it, but let them see it. Let them see how good you are, how much you love them. And how you're pursuing them and you'll never give up on them. Never. Never. Nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God. You might well just go ahead and submit to it. Because <laughs> you're going to enjoy it much better if you do. He is a loving, pursuing Father. Amen. So I pray today that your hearts awaken to Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. Amen. I'm going to dismiss the church. I want to pray before I go. But if you want to talk to me, if I had the honor to meet you, to pray with you, it'd be my honor to do that today. I've got some really good elders that'll help me pray 
if, if y'all just, you know, mass rush me or something, they'll come help me pray. I do appreciate you uh, today. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending salvation uh, to us and being our salvation. Thank you for being our grace, being our peace, being our love and our joy and our righteousness. Thank you for that, Father. And I thank you for never giving up on your creation. And I thank you for pursuing us all the way, all the way to the end of the ages. Father, your, your mercy is everlasting. It never goes away. I pray they know that today. And they walk in that confidence thereof of that. They trust you to take care of those family members that they're concerned about. That are, It seems to be so far from you. They're not far from you at all, Father. You're with them. You're awakening their heart. You're bringing them to a place of Christ in them, the hope of glory. And let us have peace in that confidence that you will never stop loving, never stop pursuing uh, whoever this on our heart today. We ask that, pray that, and believe that in Jesus' name. Amen. Go enjoy this beautiful weather we've been having around here. Amen. God bless you.